Hello there, everybody. This is Tyler. And this is Danny. And this is Fried Squirms, where we're here to get stoned and talk about horror movies. Today is going to be Aliens. Before we get there, we got that get stoned part to get to, right? So, Green Hits. This is a fun one. <laughs> we already talked about this. Danny, what are we both smoking today since we grabbed the same strain for each other? No doubt. So we both grabbed the strain Burberry from over at Flower. And we both did a little investigative research on this one because there's varying information depending on the growers, right? Right. We I saw a, like some saying like, oh, blueberry with Gucci. Yeah, exactly. And I ain't never smoked no Gucci. I can't no. afford Gucci. <laughs> no, hell no. <laughs> But we have a pretty good finger on the pulse of what our shop likes to grow and the strains they provide and what have you. So with that being said, we do believe that this particular strain is the cross between Hashberry and OG Kush. Now, the effects on this one are kind of standard for marijuana, you know, creative, euphoric, giggly and happy. It says that it does help for those who are troubled by menstrual cramps, chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, nausea, migraines, arthritis, and loss of appetite, uh, specifically chemo patients. Now, on this one, because I did look up some of the information in terms of the terpene profile, it is very heavy in karyophylline and myrcene, and you also have some notes of the alpha and beta pinene, along with linalool terpenes. Now, the flavors on this are berry, blueberry, fruity, pine, and sweet. And the THC over at the shop is right at 24.5%. Yeah, like I said, I grabbed the same thing. This is what they had for six packs. Mm-hmm. I wanted a six pack. Hey, there's sativa as well, take it. Yeah. So that kind of gets our green hits out of the way really quickly because I, I don't right. have a second strain to bring up. It's all Burberry today. <laughs> there we go. So remember, go check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash fried squirms. Remember, every fourth episode now is a look back. If you guys have been listening to our shit and being like, yo, every three weeks it suddenly skips, we've been mentioning it. Your stoned ass just hasn't been paying attention. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, so we've been doing lookbacks. We'll do other things. Like, we haven't been going and catching too many movies in the theater lately. But whenever we do, we'll throw our idea, you know, our thoughts on whatever we go see up on there. Trying to plan out other shit. We're going to get it done. Anything you'd like to see, there is a poll. Even if you don't want to sign up, when you go check it out, you can let us know what it is you would like to see from a Fried Squirms Patreon. So remember... Patreon.com slash fried squirms. And at the very lowest level, you could have got this last week. I guess that's it for that part. And we're going to just go into the guts and bolts of uh, aliens. How's that sound? Sounds awesome. Guts and bolts. All right. Guts and bolts. Aliens. Who and what went in the making of this movie? Spoiler free to start. We'll get to the spoilers later. Starting off with our spoiler free setup of this movie. It is, in fact, a sequel to Alien. That's a setup, right? Like, it helps if you've seen that. (laughs) Following the events of the first movie, Ripley has been floating in an escape pod for 57 years, gets picked up, debriefed, or, I mean, she keeps her briefs on from what I saw, but... (laughs) And everyone is kind of ready to dismiss her, her claims of what happened until they lose contact with LV-426. And Ripley's needed as they go confront 
aliens. <laughs> I like it. Now, we do talk about the cast and crew from week to week of the films we review, and this week we've got pretty big cast and crew, so I want to start it off with our director and part of our writing team on this, and this gentleman, of course, is James Cameron. For those who don't know, let's go back a little bit. Uh, 1981, he directed another sequel, Piranha Part Two: The Spawning. He also went on to direct 1984's The Terminator, 1989's The Abyss. He also directed Terminator 2, Judgment Day. One of his biggest films, not his biggest, but one of his bigger films, was Titanic in 1997. Well... When Titanic came out, it took the box office record, right? Yeah, and then so. he was the one that then beat it later with Avatar. It's <laughs> crazy, dude. Until Marvel started coming along. Yeah. And, sort of and I don't know it. where it's at now because I think Avatar got another re-release, Didn't which technically counts towards that it. Had like a crazy, I can't remember, it was like a billion dollar, over a billion, yeah. who knows, but it, it's way up there. But along with a couple of those credits, he's also known for... Freak Nation, which was the episode, I believe it was a pilot episode of Dark Angel, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. He also helped on a couple of uh, documentaries. You've already mentioned Avatar, and there are several sequels in the making. So there's that. All right, I didn't mention that he's a part of the writing team, along with David Geiler and Walter Hill. And I'll start off with David. You know what, real quick, before we're completely yeah, off of James Cameron, I read the funniest thing about him the other day when the, the latest Avatar teaser trailer dropped since we are getting, like, 15 more of those motherfuckers for some reason. <laughs> and it was simply, oh, my God, I fucking lost it, too. It was, uh, James Cameron is to water what Quentin Tarantino is to feet. Oh, damn, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, I mean, maybe. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Nice, I like that. All right, so with Mr. Geiler, a few of his writing credits include the original... Fun with Dick and Jane screenplay from 1977. He also wrote Southern Comfort back in 1981. He's responsible for 1986's The Money Pit. Also, he went uncredited for Beverly Hills Cops 2, or Beverly Hills Cop 2, Alien 3, the screenplay, and a little film from 2002 called Undisputed with Ving Rhames, mm -hmm. Wesley Snipes. Pretty good film. All right, I did mention Walter Hill was another gentleman who wrote on this. Now, a few films of note from him. He was responsible for The Getaway from 1972, The Macintosh Man, The Thief Came to Dinner. So these guys were like Paul Newman films, Steve McQueen films, Charles Bronson films, uh, which is like The Driver. Uh, one of my favorite films from this time period, The Warriors from 1979. Warriors! Yeah, come out to play. He's also responsible for directing and writing Southern Comfort, 48 Hours, Streets of Fire. He's uh, the director of Brewster's Millions, which is really cool. He also helped on such things as Red Heat. Let's see here, Alien 3. These are just some of his writing credits. The Getaway from 1994. He also helped with Undisputed and uh, The Assignment from 2016. All right, we have... The cinematographer on this, Adrian Biddle, is actually a gentleman we talked about before way back on episode 62 when we had our friend Justin over when we talked about Event Horizon. Mm. All right, now a couple of other things of note. This guy's got some really cool films. I know we mentioned this way back when, but he's also the DP on the films The Princess Bride, Willow, Thelma and Louise, City Slickers Part 2, Judge Dredd, 101 Dalmatians. He also helped on... The Brendan Fraser, 1999's The Mummy. Great uh, movie. Yeah, no, The World Is Not Enough, The Mummy Returns, Reign of Fire, Laws of Attraction, Shanghai Night. 
Bridget Jones, The Edge of Reason, and V for Vendetta back in 2005. All right, another gentleman we've talked about before, Ray Lovejoy. He helped as far as the editing credits on this. Now, we talked about him back on episode 47 when we had a couple of other friends on, Patrick and Riley, when we reviewed The Shining. He's also responsible for uh, 2001, A Space Odyssey, the film Kroll, 1989's Batman, the films Inventing the Abbots, and Lost in Space. Right, another gentleman we've talked about before, more recently actually, was uh, James Horner. He composed the music for Aliens. But we talked about him on episode 259 when we reviewed Wolfen. Uh, not a werewolf film. <laughs> <laughs> but nonetheless, if you look at a few film credits from Mr. Horner, you can go back to a Roger Corman film from 1979, and that is The Lady in Red. He also helped on Humanoids from the Deep and Battle Beyond the Stars. Then he went on to help on such films as Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, 48 Hours, Kroll. He also was uh, responsible for Star Trek III, Commando, Cocoon, Batteries Not Included, Willow, Glory, and Field of Dreams. That's just from the 80s. Damn. Yo, yeah, he also is responsible for a bunch of Steven Spielberg's Amblin Entertainment films like American Tale, The Land Before Time, The Rocketeer, An American Tale, Five Will Goes West, The Page Master, Casper, Jumanji, Mighty Joe Young, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the score for Titanic. Huh. Shit. Yeah, there you go. Let's hear a few other things. Uh, the Perfect Storm, A Beautiful Mind, Enemy at the Gates. Jesus. I know Bicentennial Man, House of Sand and Fog. Of course, he also scored Avatar. And a couple of posthumous credits that he helped on were Southpaw and The 33. He's also composed stuff for The Karate Kid from 2010, The Amazing Spider-Man, Spider-Man No Way Home, all kinds of stuff, man. So... Big ups to him. All right, we have special effects teams, Fantasy 2 Film Effects, LAFX Group, Peerless Camera Company, and Stan Winston Studio. Produced by Gail Ann Hurd. Production companies on this were 20th Century Fox, Brandywine Productions, Pinewood Studios, and SLM Production Group. The distributor was 20th Century Fox for the 1986 United States theatrical release. Had a couple of different release dates. July 14th, 1986 at Westwood in California. That was its premiere. And then it had a statewide, I think, Canadian, a couple of uh, European countries on July 18th, 1986. Budget was an estimated $18.5 million. I saw a gross between $131 to $180-something odd, depending on who you're looking at the source. Several different taglines, but the one I pulled is, there are some places in the universe you don't go alone. Kind of generic, but it fits. Do not go it alone. Take this. <laughs> All right. So moving into the cast, we've got quite the cast. We've got a returning cast member, and that's Gorney Weaver. I was going to say, if it's an alien movie, there's one person everybody wants to see. Absolutely. She plays Ellen Ripley once again. Now, we've talked about Sigourney a couple of different times back on episode 60 when we reviewed Cabin in the Woods. We also talked about her, of course, on episode 67 when we talked about Alien. Let's see here. Moving into just a little bit of her credits, I suppose. Uh, Gorillas in the Mist? Yeah, dude. How about the Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters 2 movies? Afterlife as well. She was also an Avatar. She was in... She was also an Avatar. Yeah, she was, dude. It was pretty wild. Guess who forgot that? This guy. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. 
She was also in, let's see here, Working Girl. She was also uh, Queen Isabella in 1492, Conquest of Paradise back in 92. A gentleman a lot of people don't want to really talk about, but she was in a Polanski film. Uh, it was Death and the Maiden. She was also in The Ice Storm back in 97. Let's see here, a couple other films you might have seen her in, The Tale of Despero. She was uh, the voice of, I don't know who she voiced exactly, but she was in Wally. Yeah, she was in Exodus, Gods and Kings. She was in Choppy, which is actually another really good film, man. The Good House. Yeah, she's in all those upcoming Avatar films as well. So it's cool seeing her back in those. All right, we've got Carrie Henn. She plays the role of Newt or Rebecca Jordan. The only other film of note from her is actually an animation called Thunder Island from 2020. Interesting. Yeah. All right, we've got Michael Bain. plays the role of Corporal Dwayne Hicks. Now, uh, as if this guy needs an introduction, he was Sergeant Kyle Reese. In is the there Terminator. any reason why we we haven't talked about him yet, have we? No, we There's haven't. There's nothing he would have come up for. No, I think we've talked about it kind of in passing because he did make an appearance in a Star Wars right. kind of adaptation. Yeah, Because he was in Mando, and that was dope. Yeah, and like everybody was like, hell And it's because yeah. he was Johnny Ringo. Yeah, it's pretty awesome, man. All right, he was also Lieutenant Coffee in The Abyss. He was in the 1981 film The Fan, 1990s Navy Seals. You might have seen him in Tombstone back in 93. He was in the film The Rock. He was also in Megado, The Omega Code Part Two, Planet Terror. He also appeared in Hill Street Blues, The Magnificent Seven, and Adventure Incorporated. All right, we have Paul Reiser plays the role of Carter J. Burke. A few things of note from him because he's got quite the credits as well. He was mad in a, about you. That's dude, what I think of immediately. Actually, man, I'm going to say this. I'll go ahead in a minute. And I don't care. I hope she's listening, but I know she's not. But he was in the 1980 sitcoms My Two Dads, which starred Greg Evigan and Stacy Keenan, who I had a huge crush on as a kid. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that was I hope she's listening. <laughs> I know she's not. But anyway, he was also in the 1982 film Diner. He was also in Beverly Hills Cop in Beverly Hills Cop Part 2. He was also in the 2014 film Whiplash. He was also in the Amazon video series Red Oaks. Now, some other people, because this is a more current thing, might know him as Dr. Sam Owens in Netflix's Stranger Things, which is really cool. Now, he's got his feet wet, if I'm not mistaken, back in um, like the early 80s, maybe even late 70s in stand-up comedy, which is part of the reason why he was cast in Diner. Is really neat. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. But I know I'm leaving out a bunch of other stuff, but yeah, he's got some cool credits nonetheless. All right, we've got Lance Hendrickson, another guy we've talked about before. He plays the role of Bishop. We've talked about him several different times. First time back on episode 40, we talked about him on the first season of Hannibal. He was in episode 9 of that season on the episode True No Monde. He's also in episode 135 when we reviewed Pumpkinhead and also in episode 148 when we reviewed Near Dark. Now, another one of those guys, he's got, oh, dude, I looked. He's got like over 260-something odd credits to his name. So it's not, I mean, come on. Some people might know him because he was Frank Black in the Fox television series Millennium for a shit ton of episodes. Oh, yeah. So he voiced the uh, as the narrator for the Strain television series, which is really cool. He was a part of the Avengers, Earth's Mightiest Heroes as the Grim Reaper for four episodes. He voiced that character. was really neat. Well, and he keeps coming back in alien shit, too. Yeah, he does, man. He really does. Because I know he's, he's an AVP. I yeah. know he's an Alien 3. When I was looking at his uh, X-Files credit, I was like, oh, this is kind of neat because the episode is called Millennium, where he reprises his role as Frank Black. 
like, oh, he was a part of Cagney and Lacey, which is really neat. Um, he was in the episode, well, a couple of episodes of Tales from the Crypt, which um, you're going to notice here in a little bit. Several of our actors and actresses were. All right, but moving forward, we've got Bill Paxton plays Private Hudson. We talked about him on episode 46 for the episode Frailty. And Dropping that, some of his most iconic lines in dude, any of his movies in this movie. You're not kidding, right? And episode 148, when we talked about Near Dark. A few things of a note from Bill. He was in Weird Science back in 1985. He was in Tombstone back in 93. True Lies from 94. Apollo 13, Twister. He was also in Titanic and A Simple Plan. Some people might know him because he was also in the HBO drama series Big Love. Where he, uh, let's see here, he earned three Golden Globe Award nominations, which is really awesome. Yeah, he was also part of the Hatfield and McCoys. He's been in a ton of other television series and films. Uh, like I said, we'd be here all day kind of listing them off, but it's cool seeing him in this. Like you said, for uh, his quotes, if nothing else. All right, we have William Hope plays the role of Lieutenant Gorman. Man, believe it or not, we actually talked about this guy way back on Episode 7 when we reviewed Hellbound Hellraiser Part 2 because he plays the role of Kyle. And I had a look. I was like, who the fuck is Kyle? Who the fuck is Kyle? Who the fuck is Kyle? Well, we'll be talking about him in a couple of months again. (laughs) So anyhow, with that being said, William's got some really cool roles, believe it or not. So... When you bring up some of his stuff, he was in Poltergeist and Scanners. Now, he went uncredited because he's Canadian. Huh? He happened to appear in those. He was also in Triple X back in 2002 as Agent Roger Donan. He was also in such things as Sherlock Holmes from 2009. I think a lot of, I won't say a lot of people, but I think he's known more or less for voicing like Edward, Toby, and Rocky and this British cartoon for kids called Thomas and Friends. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was like, okay, that's kind of neat. He was also in uh, the 2022 Texas Chainsaw Massacre's uh, Sheriff Hathaway, which is kind of neat. I know he appeared in several television shows. Yeah, he was a part of, this is is what I'm wondering. He was a part of MI5, also known as Spooks. MI5 here in the States, Spooks (laughs) in the UK. (laughs) Because I know we brought that up before because uh, there was a couple of other people in the past we've talked about who were on that show. All right, so moving forward, we have Jeanette Goldstein. She plays Private Vasquez. We talked about her back on episode 148 when she appeared in Near Dark. All right, a few things of note from her outside of uh, Aliens in Near Dark. She was in Lethal Weapon Part 2, and she was also in Terminator Part 2. She made some cameo appearances in Titanic, and she also appeared in a couple of episodes of Star Trek Short Treks back in 2019. Let's see here. Some other things of note. She was in The Presidio, which is actually really cool. She was in L.A. Law. She was also in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas as Alice the Maid. She was in an episode of Six Feet Under, a show I highly recommend. Yeah, she did a couple of voices and some video games, which include X-Men The Next Dimension, Real Heroes, Firefighter, and Star Trek Invasion. All right, we've got Al Matthews who plays the role of Sergeant Apone. A few things of note from him. He was in Superman Part 3. The Fifth Element and Tomorrow Never Dies. I was reading too that he was the first field sergeant, I believe, African American nominated or promoted to that in Vietnam. Oh, yeah. Shit. Okay. So it's a big part of the reason why he got this role. All right. We have Mark Rolston plays the role of Private Drake. 
few things of note from him. Some people might know him for his uh, his roles in Lethal Weapon Part 2. He was also in the Shawshank Redemption. He was in The Departed, and he's a part of the Saw film series a little bit later on in the series. And he played Gordon Lyman in The Shield back in 2003. Like I said, he's got some other things of note. He was in Rush Hour back in 98. Saw Part 4, 5, and 6. So there's those. And uh, let's see here. We've got Rico Ross plays the role of Private Frost. We actually talked about him back on episode 88. He was in the Wishmaster, believe it or not. A few things of note from him, I know, right? He was in uh, Mission Impossible back in 96. He was in Babylon 5, a couple of episodes there. He was in Opening Night. He was also in Night Walk. A few other things of note, Time Lock and Fierce Creatures. All right, we've got Colette Hiller. She plays the role of Corporal Pharaoh. She was in Ragtime, The Lonely Lady, and Space Precinct back in 1994. And last but not least, we have Daniel Cash, plays the role of Private Spunkmeyer. We actually talked about him a couple of different times. First time back on episode 41, he was in Hannibal season 2 from episodes 10 through 12. He was also in Nightbreed when we reviewed that back in uh, episode 77. A few other things of note from him. Like I said, he's got some cool stuff. He was in Street Legal from 91 through 92. He was in Kung Fu, The Legend Continues. He was a part of the RoboCop television series back in 94. He was also in Due South, the television series back in 94 through 96. A couple episodes of Goosebumps back in 98. So he was in Jack Brooks, The Monster Slayer back in 2007. He was also in Diary of the Dead back in 2007. He was in Repo Men from 2010, which is actually really cool. You know what? I bet nobody got that call out. The fact that he was in the 94 RoboCop TV series and then was later in the 2014 RoboCop. That was the one I was looking for. Yeah, it's John Lake, which is really cool. Yeah, this guy nobody got that. No, man. He was also Dr. Everett Barnes in The Strain, which is another one of those series. Pretty cool. I mean, it's GDT. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was also in Triple uh, X Return of Xander Cage back in 2017. And from here on out, he's been in a bunch of television, like Orphan Black. He's also a part of Bad Blood. Yeah, it's just a bunch of television. All right, but yeah, that pretty much rounds out our cast and crew. You gave us a brief setup. Should give us uh, some warnings. Aliens. That's the warning. There's aliens. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, there's typical James Cameron action beats, you know, cussing, you know blood a little bit here and there. Okay, this is a sequel, so let's compare it to the last one. There is more action. I would say probably more blood and guts, technically. Yeah. Yeah. But in some ways, it's far less extreme in the fact that there are not necessarily penises and vaginas everywhere just (laughs) worked into the sets. Yeah, mainly because Geezer wasn't (laughs) on set. From what I understood, he was working on Poltergeist Part 2. So he was like contractually obligated. So that's why he couldn't work on this. Oh, crazy. Yeah, I was like, why didn't... And I mean, obviously they reused the Xenomorph design, but you don't get near as much of like... Peenies and Jinies. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that was like a sausage vest in (laughs) that last one. Which, you know, it's okay. We... Mm -hmm. you know what it's you're expect. getting. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's to be expected. That's the thing, though. It's it's very similar to the last it one, really just a is. bit more action-y. Yeah, I mean, it's the 80s, so... More aliens. There's not one. No, there's... <laughs> it's it's aliens. Whole different class, yeah, which is neat. But yeah, we'll definitely talk about that. Yeah, aside from that, I, I can't really think of anything else. Yeah, I think uh, let's just uh, get in to find out how aliens 
made us squeal. How does that make you squeal? All right, Danny. We had to resort to our backup this week. Aliens. How did it make us squeal? First off, this is a great backup because this is a good movie. Yeah, I agree. I don't know if James Cameron has ever technically made a bad movie, though, so I was not worried about it going into it. No, I'm, I'm with you there as well. He's made movies that I don't care about as much, like Avatar, like why I'm pissed we're getting like 15 of those motherfuckers. Look, I was talking about this over on General Nerdery like a month ago. I honestly kind of hope that first one fails just to see what happens with that plan of him making like five more. That's being super progressive. Like that's not even dropping the sequel yet. Yeah. And that has nothing to do with horror or us getting Mm. stoned, but the first one was boring. It was cool. Like, on like a technological aspect, the effects and shit were next level, especially for that time period. Right. That makes sense. But it was Dances with Wolves. (laughs) Yeah. I'm okay with that. I've already seen that. So now I'm wondering, like, I don't know. Whatever. Go listen to me fucking rant about it over on General Nerdery. We're here to fucking get stoned to talk about horror movies. We have Aliens, one of the best action horror movies, maybe. Yeah, it's hard to disagree with that, you know? How long had it been since you saw it? Dude, it's been a long fucking time. Now, once again, I'm going to reference one of my buddies back in South Carolina, but (laughs) we used to use one of the quotes in this film from an actor <laughs> that might be unlikely i was showing you some messages i had back and forth with one of our former guests about when we record yeah <laughs> so anyhow yeah well, one, one of my buddies like said back in south carolina in the early mid 2000s it's probably the last time i watched it but we used to quote that shit a lot mostly mostly at night mostly like i know i've seen this movie probably two or three times I know that it's, I think it was three that I've seen the most just because it was playing on HBO shit ton at yeah, one point. Sense. Maybe it wasn't three. I'd have to take a look at him again. I also know that I saw Resurrection a shit ton. One of the ones I've seen the least, one of the ones that I felt like I needed to see the least because my experience of rewatching this movie was one very much of sort of realizing just how much of like a cultural touchstone it is for sci-fi and like anything having to do with like space Marines or just like ship design even. And like, it was insane. The amount of things that I was like, Oh yeah, I guess they did pull that from this. Oh yeah. They did pull that from this. No, it was very monumental. Like I said, for sci-fi in general. You know, not not necessarily horror. I mean, yeah, it definitely helped, but more so, I think, sci-fi. Yeah, it's... Horror-wise, it's not the greatest horror movie. Right. It's not bad. No, I agree. I agree. It's one of those things, like, we've talked about it in the past. Action horror is a good idea and never quite works as well as you hope it would. <laughs> yeah. For whatever reason, I'm not. I'm still not quite sure the reason. It feels like you should be able to do it better than anyone ever has. But this is probably one of the more premier examples of oh, how you can do it. Yeah, without a doubt, that's this is one of those that you would highlight as an example of how to do it. But it's still not very horror. No, I agree with that either. But it bounces in and out of it. But I was gonna say it, it fits somewhat of a a motif that we're playing with too. So mm-hmm. you know, 
it's okay. Cosmic horror. Yeah, it's like, you know, we talked about it last week. So it fits within that realm to an um, extent, to an extent. This is going to sound weird. I was That's bummed okay. watching it, realizing that you're right. We have a theme. It's cosmic horror. This fits because it's horror in the cosmos. And like, it's straightforward, though. It's an action movie. Oh, without a doubt. And like, I'm not even going to argue that. There, there's no point. There's cool things about it. And like it does really good storytelling, and I and I want to bring up some of the things that I did yeah. like, and we'll get there. But I was kind of bummed watching it, being like, "Cool, we got into like crazy ass discussions about God. annihilation last week." Yeah, no, that was heavy. And now it's like I'm loving every second I'm watching this movie. It's beautiful. There's really cool things being done. James Cameron is a fucking great director. There's a reason why he has been Jesus. had the number one movie at the box office multiple times in his career. Say, man, he's for every almost every decade he's directed a film and he's had some kind of success in, and not just like some success, monumental like, success. That's like, what I'm getting at. Like it's it's kind of a game changer in that respect. Legendary success, dude. Um, most people wish they could have an Aliens. No shit, right? Let alone. Terminator 2. Terminator 2, Titanic, Avatar, <laughs> just just a few. Mm-hmm. Yeah, come on, dude. I'd be fine with his aliens. Yeah, but he gave us the rest. Exactly. But, like, there's nothing to sink my teeth into, man. Like, No, I'm kind of with you there, too. I, not from my big mouth or my little mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I was asked, now, of course, this is a very, very subjective question, but whether I like aliens or alien more and i'm like oh damn i kind of don't like doing that but because it's a subjective question anyway i'm just gonna go ahead and answer it because i this is how he answers like i like alien i think more just because of the age i'm at now but i felt like if i were a kid still in the 80s and was a little bit more cognizant of what was happening in the film like <laughs> a lot more aware i probably would like aliens a lot more to be quite frank there's a lot more going on. Right. And that's why I said, uh, for my kid self, I would have liked Aliens. It's, it's, it keeps up with the pace. Mm -hmm. It has a pace about it. Whereas Alien, the pacing's different. You have to really pay attention. to Not necessarily, but, you know, it helps if you pay attention to what the fuck's going on with the story and whatnot. Where I would have lost attention way back when as a kid. Yeah. Kind of like with The Shining and all these other films where they're slow burns. Whereas this is like, boom, it's right it off the It plays more on suspense. Yep. It Damn near is a slasher movie. Pretty much, dude. If you think about it, yeah. It's that cold, quiet, like you're stuck on something. You're stuck out yeah. there with something that is going to, if you can't get out of there, it it's going to kill you. It's a matter of time. Yeah, yeah. You're either going to get pregnant or it's going to kill you. <laughs> I mean, there's no two ways about that. So yeah, This like, one, it's weirder because you have a chance. Because you got you these do. colonial marines. They... Do take down a few of them. Yeah. Did you read any on what Cameron had the cast read? No. Ah, I think you'll find this interesting. So I actually did a lot less research on this one than I did a lot of others because I was just falling behind on shit this I weekend. Know, dude. So. You've got a lot on your plate, so I understand. Now, from what I understood is he had the cast read Starship Troopers in order to get a better feel for like a platoon unit. And a little bit of the camaraderie and the comedy a little bit, I suppose. Well, that's weird. Have you ever read Starship I Troopers? Because I have. I haven't. Starship Troopers isn't that kind of book. Wow. That's weird because that's what he wanted from them. Starship Troopers is essentially a 
series of political essays that's wow. bound together by an overarching plot having to do with the bugs attacking. Okay, that makes sense. That's interesting. No. There's also not a lot of neat... I mean, look, they work in platoons. Like, there's yeah, there's yeah, yeah. characters that work together and that, like, are their friends and, like, they're sent out. They're, I'm not going to dispute that. But it's yeah. also a lot different in the fact that, like, they're not working together in the same way when they're fighting the bugs in the book because also don't think about the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Instead... They're like jumping around on a planet in like these mech suits, shooting oh, off tactical shit. nukes. Damn, <laughs> yeah, that's heavy stuff. And that's not every battle in it, right, but right. like that's it the happens. kind of technology. That's li literally something wow. that happens in the book. He's like jumping around in this mech suit, like Jesus. half mile jumps around the planet, shooting off these Jesus. little tactical nukes. Yeah, no, that's huge departure. <laughs> But yeah, I said, nonetheless, that's what I read. And it's also legit just a ton of political essays about, like, what should define, wow. like, being a citizen and, like, what should your rights be as a citizen and, like... That's interesting. Nonetheless, yeah. So there was a little bit of that, which kind of makes sense in a way. And it's in a way, if you think about what's going on in this film with the, the company. Good old Wayland yutani Yes. Because of Paul Reiser's character in the film, and because it's been so long since I've watched this, the last time I heard somebody mention that, they're like, oh, about aliens. It's like, isn't that the one with Paul Reiser, who's like the bad guy working for the company? Isn't that the one with Mad About You? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he does a good job, man, in terms of that. But it gives us a better idea of what the aim of the company uh, Wayland Wayland Utani. Utani. Yeah. Build better worlds. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, like I said, it, it was interesting that we get a better idea of what this exomoon planet, whatever, what they're trying to do as far as colonizing it with these terraformers and also huh, trying to capture embryos or even live, whether it's facehuggers, xenomorphs, whatever, mm -hmm. to develop bioweapons, which is interesting too. So, I mean, that's kind of their whole scheme. They're which I'm trying to remember which one that comes up more I, in. I think Is it, it starts three? in three, I think. But it's been so long since I've seen that one, too. Because when I was watching this, like, once again, I fucking loved it. It's it's a crazy cultural touchstone. Oh, without a doubt. But there was a part of me that was wishing that, like, this one and three had been put together a little bit more, where it wasn't just, like... They accidentally ran into this and the fucking alien... Not yeah. accidentally. They I had an idea that. was there, but... Regardless, yeah. I wish, like, the planet got fucked up because they were doing tests. Mm. Not, like, this is a planet that got fucked up half accidentally because they were just investigating shit, and then we're going to make a whole nother movie about us doing tests after that. I kind of wanted them just together now. Yeah. And then have that lead into what 3 was supposed to be. Because three has its own lot. I'm sure eventually we'll we'll talk I, about I three. So I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to go too heavy into it. But three has its own saga of how that movie got made, and it was originally supposed to be the aliens got to Earth. Oh wow! Yeah, that would have been dope. Which isn't what that movie is. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah, no. I think there might have been a trailer made that then. That movie never got made, basically. And that kind of leads into this a little bit, because I do feel, intentional or not, 
you could count some of Ripley's anger speech when she's being debriefed at, towards the beginning of this movie as sort of a setup for like, if you guys keep not listening, it's going to come to your doorstep, which is what three was supposed to be. No, I mean, that's what I do appreciate about this film is how it did try to tie itself back in. I mean, it did to the first one. Hell, I mean, it's a sequel. But in terms of like some of that stuff, more with the company and you know, like you said, it was more more of a warning. You know, I was like, you need to quit fucking around with these things, man. What are you doing now? You're trying to colonize this, you know, like I said, this, this moon. <laughs> Come on, man. What are you guys doing? Cool things about this movie. I've never seen a trailer for this movie because it came out before I was born and I had no, I, you know, I had no reason to go back and look it up. I feel like they probably gave away that she was going to be working with some colonial Marines in the trailer. Oh, I'm sure of it. I, I haven't seen it. Shit. I don't know. I probably have seen it as a kid, but I couldn't tell you anything about it, but I know how those trailers back then played out. They almost tell you the whole fucking movie. So if you had seen, any media regarding this movie, technically it wouldn't have been that much of a fake out. But if you're going in blind or if you're just reading it on paper, the opening of this movie is actually pretty fucking ominous with her oh, fucking yeah. rescue sh- or her escape pod just floating and you have this ship come in and they very purposely don't show you humans for a bit. Like all you see is like the loader using yeah. the welder to open the door and like people and like has, you know, Full on, you can't actually see who's in there. Hazmat suits, like, finding her. And then you get the, oh, shit, she's alive. Well, there goes our salvage. And then you're like, oh. Yep. You know, it's humans. You're good. But you're right. It it does set it up like you don't know exactly if they're good or not. And you definitely don't know that it's 57 years later. No, we have no way of knowing that. And then when you get that truth nugget, let me ask you this. There's two different versions that I watched, and uh, one of them was the two-hour, 17-minute version, and there's another one that's two hours, 34 minutes. Oh, I watched the 217. Okay, the reason I asked that is because there is some expo given by Paul Reiser right before Ripley goes into that board meeting, whatever, for the disciplinary stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so she's sitting on this bench, and you can see, like, this nature scene but it's kind of like the holodeck and Star okay. Trek, similar to that. It's just, you know, like this generated thing. And Paul Reiser comes out and he has his file and he hands it to Ripley and he's telling her about Ripley's daughter. And her daughter's name was uh, Amanda Ripley McLaren and she died at age 66. And it happened two years prior to her being discovered by that, you know, party oh, yeah. that went out that salvage team or whatever. So she learns that. And then also on top of it, she says that she promised her daughter that she would be home for her 11th birthday. Yo, I was like, Oh, that's interesting because without that little bit, her whole relationship with Newt has like a little bit more significance because of some Mm -hmm. of this stuff that played out. I was like, Oh, because it's like, man, it was so easy to, to play with like having, kids in these films in the 80s where it's almost like these buddy I don't know it was weird yeah um, but they give it a little bit more depth and brevity in terms of you know what happened with Ripley and her daughter and shit well and that does point at as 
quote unquote deep as this movie gets where the end battle is a battle essentially between two mothers. Precisely. I mean, that's pretty obvious too. <laughs> You're paying a little bit of attention. I agree. That, that just plays into that more. And I wish that wouldn't have been cut. Yeah. I wish I would have watched the longer version. Yeah. I mean, there's a little bit, that's a little bit more in terms of the expo and character development. What else is added then? Oh, which is interesting. You can actually find this on um, the DB, but I can I can kind of briefly go through it. So that's just one of them, right? So you learn about that. There's a scene where they're about to go in to the ship with um, you know the unit with yeah, all, you know anyway. Bill Paxson's character Hudson, he tells Ripley. She's like. He he got, like literally leans over her. And he's like, "Don't don't be afraid. Don't worry." He starts pulling out all these different weapons that they have. He's like, "This is what this does. This one will knock out a whole half of a city block. You know, whatever." So he's like pointing out all the weapons that they have and what they do and shit oh, like that. Okay. So you get to see a little bit more of that. There's but then even, half of those don't get used or they can't get to them by the point. Right. So they they do set up more like. And you can't uh, have that many Chekhov's guns. No, I think they they do more establishing shots. They give you. More of an example of the crafts and all the other, you know, shit that they have on their big ass cargo spacecraft, whatever they're carrying. So you get a lot more of that. I think there's even one more expo dump that's a little bit more significant when Ridley and Newt are in the infirmary. And Newt is, you know, wanting to go to, to sleep, but she's worried about her dreams and what have you. And they have a little bit of dialogue about what happened with Ripley's daughter and then Ripley kind of changes the conversation. That's when she gives her that tracking Mm, watch mm -hmm. or whatever. Yeah. So there's a little bit of that there too. So that kind of ties a little bit more of their relationship together, but more or less, it's just a little bit longer shots. Like, so just kind of establishing things. um, Okay. Yeah. Like the layout of the ship and stuff like that. So, I mean, it did not a lot, honestly. Is there any expo of how much of a time jump there is between her debriefing and their coming to fucking suck her dick to come back and be a consultant? Because there's obvious that there's a time jump there, but... So it's like, thinking about it a little bit more, there is a sequence, too, kind of early on, where you get to see Newt's family in, oh. like, a, I guess one of those vehicles. Okay. They, they actually learn about the derelict alien spacecraft, the xenomorph spacecraft, right? And it's her mom, her dad, and her brother. And the mom and dad go out, explore it. They don't show all that, but they show them leaving the the craft. And then they come back, and the mom is in distress, and she's doing like the May Day, May Day. And then you see the dad has a face hugger. Um. Yeah, and then Newt screams, and then it blacks back out. So you get to see that, because they're talking about you know, the whole colonization. So she's getting that debriefing about what, what they're doing on that planet. She's like, 57 families or whatever. She's like, Jesus Christ. So you get to see all that stuff, which is actually kind of interesting. Um, I'm trying to think, though, with with that. Though, uh, there's also a little bit, you get to see these guys talking about that, like the whole terraformer stuff before you get to see Newt's family. But you get to see, like, these kids riding around on tricycles and shit playing on the ship. There's like oh. a whole nother sequence. That it's not very long. It's like maybe a minute or so. So I understand why all that bullshit's cut. Like that doesn't sound interesting to me. No, at all. it's just like it's just a 
another little scene they interjected to give you a little bit more dialogue about what's happening on that, you know, that that moon or whatever. Um, so there's a little bit of that. Um, but yeah, that's that's the only thing I can really think of, man. Everything else is pretty straightforward from there. Even if it is a little extra dialogue, it's not much that changes anything. So I think the thing that stood out to me the most this time through this movie. Also, I know I asked you, I don't remember the last time I fucking, I know that I, like, it's been so fucking long since I saw this flick. Bishop is set up as the red herring because we know that last time a Wayland yutani android flipped out and there's no reason to think it's not going to again because we know that Wayland yutani hasn't fucking changed one bit. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. And then you have the iconic bit in the beginning with the fucking, what's it called? The fucking five finger filet. Right? That's pretty awesome. If you don't know that Bishop is a red herring, you could interpret the fact that he cuts himself during that scene as look like their programming still isn't perfect. We can't trust him. Once you know how it ends, you can look back at that scene and realize what it was actually saying was even when things go wrong, he's willing to put himself in front of the person. Yeah, exactly. That's a, that's a solid point. And from what I understood, too, there's a little bit of, like, the Isaac Asimov's, um, like... The three laws. Yeah, the three laws. Yeah, I was reading a little bit about that. So, I mean, that's a little bit there at play as well, what is neat. But um, here's something I, w- I did learn about Lance Henriksen in this role, was that... I don't know how true this is, so, you know, you have to take it with a grain of salt, but from my understanding was... He said that if this role for him didn't work out, then he was pretty much done with acting because he had done like all these little bit parts up until this mm. point. And this was one of the films that gave him, you know, some pretty, you know, big notoriety because of his performance. And then the rest is history. And I, I mean, we've kind of gone through his filmography. So there's that. Yeah. So it was kind of interesting in that regard, man. Um, but also that sequence, too, kind of similar to the chestburster sequence in Alien is that everybody on set except for Bill Paxton knew that Lance was going to do that. Oh, shit. Yeah, Lance okay. actually went to Cameron and was like, he's like, it would be a little bit more, you know, in that sense, that red herring, if I put my hand on top of his and did it, you know. And they said that, I guess looking at the dailies, the first time they did it, it was a little too slow. And it yeah, didn't you can good. tell, if you look, like yeah. it sped up. But apparently he nicked uh, Paxton. Uh, (laughs) but you know it's Paxson it's not like he's gonna say much Uh, even Paxson talked about you know like having a chance meeting with James Cameron at LAX the international airport and wanting to be in one of his films and stuff and gave him a chance and if I'm not mistaken I believe he met his future wife in London at the time too so uh, they were also filming adjacent to Full Metal Jacket at the time oh shit yeah and James Reamer was actually cast as Hicks, if I'm not... Yeah, he was. He was Hicks before oh. Michael Bain. Okay. Yeah, and he got fired, and it's it's rumored because he was busted for drug possession or some shit while he was in England, hence why they got Michael Bain, and that was more of a studio decision, but worked out for him. But yeah, he apparently like shot James, you remember that is, through one of the sets. <laughs> yeah. 
Wild. Um, actually, in, in Little Shop of Horrors, that's what happened. They said, like, Frank Oz's oh, Little fuck. Shop of Horrors was also on that okay. sound studio. <laughs> like, Jesus wow. Christ, man. So they were partying with the cast from Full Metal Jacket while also having Frank Oz's mm-hmm. studio set up and shit. That's kind of wild. But yeah, there you go. I wish the other guy that you could see in the background in the loader scene when you when Ripley is like, well, I can do this, like sucked more so yeah. that we could see how good Ripley was with it. Or I guess it doesn't matter if she's like the fucking goddess of loaders or not, but the other two sit there and act like they just saw her do some super fucking hot shit. I, I know. And I'm like, if the other guy in the background was like super jerky and she shows up and is just right, going smooth, fluid and whatnot. then I would understand that reaction. Yeah, but Same here. What I was wondering, too, this is one of those things you have to, if you're going to look at this, <laughs> you know, fairly, is look at it from like a 1986 lens compared to mm-hmm. a 2022 lens. Oh, where they're just impressed that a chick's doing that. That and the fact, too, that the technology they were using it at that time to them mm-hmm. was their idea of what the future was. And I'm like, oof, man, did they really drop the ball on a lot of this shit? <laughs> Cause the, the, it's clunky as shit. A lot of the vehicles, the camera and like the networking, it's just atrocious. It's, it's clunky. It's 1980s mm-hmm. clunky. <laughs> so I was like, it's kind of funny, but I get it. I mean, it's, it's 1986, man. Drew, it's wild though. Watching this. And, like, it might not be hitting what we're actually seeing in the future, but those hallways in those spaceships are every spaceship hallway we've ever seen, (laughs) right? Yeah, always. (laughs) Yeah. You know what? You see what I'm saying? Like, it's it's crazy being like, oh, shit. Or, like, the ship designs, like, that from the outside, not necessarily the inside. Like, go play through Mass Effect and notice how close those ships are to that. That's interesting because you're right. I think... um the designs and stuff like that gave precedence to things moving forward. Was it Sergeant Apone? Yeah. Is Sergeant Johnson from Halo. Dude, um, here's another thing. Think about this. I know a little bit, uh, he's already mentioned like with Terminator and Predator with um, Contra, but man, I feel like this and Metal Gear Solid mm, has a lot, mm-hmm. oh, those two games have a lot to owe to this and maybe even a little Metroid. Yeah, Absolutely. You know, stuff like that. I'm like, man, you can't help but feel they were probably influenced somewhat by this film. Fuck. And then just all of the Marines are great. Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> I mean, they're good. And I get it, too, because some of it is comic relief. Mm-hmm. You know, their lines. And rightfully so, we talked about this a little bit, too, with um, I can't remember exactly which film it was, but where, you know, you ratchet up the horror and then you cut it with the comic relief so that way you bring the audience back down for that next scare or that, you know, mm-hmm. the anticipation of. So they do a good job with that, and that's part of what uh, Bill Paxson's character is too. And I love that every single one of them seems like they've dialed it up just a little bit. They're not all just like chewing scenery. No, but they And they're are. not super campy, but they've all... Just a little bit. Yeah. Like if the role, most people would play the role at an eight, they're, they all just went to that nine, I, I nine think, and a half. I think you're right with that. Yeah, it's not 11 or, or anything like that. No, it's it's tinkering right there at a 10. Maybe maybe Paxton. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, that's Game Paxton. Game over, man. <laughs> Game over. He's great, man. He even talks about, you know, taking the, the ride to hell and all this other stuff. He's got some memorable quotes in this film. 
And rightfully so, because apparently he improvised a lot of them. Mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, I like it, man. Give him a little bit of freedom there. Why not? I, the movie would have played out way different, obviously. Yeah. Like, there's no way to say what, what it would have been, but, like, what if they would have just accidentally murked Newt that first time? Dude, that would have been crazy, right? Because <laughs> they're like, don't fucking shoot in here. Don't be throwing. <laughs> I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, she's like, fuck it. Shooting everything. That was the other thing. Like, don't shoot in there. It didn't matter. Well, didn't other really than splaying I mean. fucking acid everywhere. Well, that's kind of unfortunate in that respect because she inadvertently was responsible for Drake's death. Right. Yeah, because she was spraying. No, but it, she, from what they were saying, she should have been inadvertently responsible for all of their deaths. True that too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what what kind of kicked it off actually was just them blazing up that little face hugger, or you mm-hmm. know, the, the baby xenomorph, if you will. Chestburster. Yeah, the chestburster. Exactly, because the rest of the, the aliens inside are like, uh-oh. Oh, shit. Well, they know there was a presence, and that that was that from that point forward. Let's be honest. They probably knew before that. Oh, I'm sure they did. Uh, I'm sure that that was kind of a setup. <laughs> it's one of those things. It's like, I... It's a presence. It knows. Well, not just that. Like, like I grew up hunting and shit. And, like, so the last... It's been a couple of years since I went out, but the last time I went out, like, I was in... Like a hoodie and jeans. <laughs> yeah, I mean you do. And that. like you know, and like uh, like long johns underneath because it was a fucking cold ass day and shit. But like I wasn't like camo head to toe and shit. Yeah. And like I had one of my like city friends asking me about that. They're like, "What? You weren't in fucking camo?" I'm like, "No, look, that shit helps. It, it does. Like I'm not gonna like talk down anybody who goes out in the fucking full oh, camo. And especially if you're doing something like bow hunting, I get it." But the fact of the matter is, they know you're there. Those deer, their their hearing, their smell is on another level that oh, you're not comprehending. Precisely. Well, you're as soon as you're there, they know you're there. Yeah. The idea is just not to seem threatening. That's the yeah exactly. I think, and they weren't a threat when they were first walking in. No, like I said, it wasn't until they started blasting off and doing all that they were like, okay, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, which. I think if you look at it from that angle, right, and you go way forward when Ripley and Newt are passing through and all those fucking eggs are laid out, and the queen lets her pass until she scorches them. Yeah. (laughs) And she's like, all right, bitch. (laughs) Game on now. So I think there's that, too. There's a little bit of... They are just animals to an extent. I wouldn't say decorum per se, but there's a there's a little bit of like mutual respect there. Yeah. Like, yeah, don't start no won't be none. Fuck around, find out, that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah, they found out. Again. I was <laughs> the fucking the, the getaway chase, right? In the yeah. fucking the whatever it is, the the APC. At the end of it they can't go no more because Ripley fucked up the axle. It should have been they can't go no more because she squished a fucking alien with it and got the blood all over, like, two of the wheels. Oh, yeah. It would have been melting the frame and everything else. That thing should have been way more fucked up, like... Yeah, I don't think they thought that through too much. Like, a hundred more yards down. Oh, dude, yeah. I think it would have been falling apart, probably steaming, but... 
It's and not I, something that, but like, it's still just a fun scene. I like seeing the alien get oh, run yeah, over. Of course. But when I sit there and think about it, I'm like, but the blood. Yeah, it's like don't don't think about it too critically. <laughs> but the blood. True. Exactly. Yeah, you know it. it it's kind of weird. It, it was selective in that respect, you know, with the shooting. Some people got it. Some people didn't. Sometimes it did. Sometimes it didn't. They do fuck up a number of the xenomorphs, so I really forgot. Do. I had forgotten how many they oh, actually take done. down. A lot. Because there's explosions, there's lots getting shot up. For some reason, I thought they fared a little bit worse than that, like in my memory in the back of my head. No, they took out quite a bit, you know, give them credit there, but (laughs) damn. You know what? Since it had been so long since I had seen it, the movie almost had me. I had almost forgotten that Bishop was the red herring. I almost thought that Riser was actually going to be a good guy working for Wayland Utani. Oh, no. <laughs> Absolutely not. And then it started, I was like, oh, oh nope, never mind. Nope, he's a coxswain. <laughs> yeah, I mean, once she calls him out, you know, and then he pulls that stunt, That that's pretty much that. And then he was kind of, I wasn't kind of, he was slimy. You're dog meat, man. You're dog meat. Yeah, like, he was, he was done for at that point, you know, as a character. But you have to give him credit. Like, he played the character well. Give him credit there. And same thing, like you were saying, with Henriksen being Bishop. Now, here's something, reading a little bit more into his character as a whole, was I think later, almost I think, I know, later on in the series, it's revealed that there was a guy named Bishop. Like yeah. Like Daniel Bishop or something like no, that. No, so I think what it... I might be way off on this, but I think it's in three... He comes back as another bishop model, mm-hmm. and you find out that his model was based off of the creator of that model, who they don't give a name in that one. Okay. And then it's, and so you're just like, okay, cool. Like, and I think some people probably assumed his name was probably Bishop or something like that. I think in Alien versus Predator, yeah, I know he's in one of those. It's revealed that it's. Charles Wayland Bishop, uh, like Wayland okay. Utani. Okay. Yes, yeah, so I I knew it had something to do with that, it, because I think in what a, one of the AVPs, one of the Alien versus Predator, whatever it is, it's revealed to who Utani is mm. as well. And it's like, oh well, I haven't watched enough of these, these movies to really know all this stuff. It's just doing a little bit of you know, like it's just a little tertiary research on some of this stuff. I ran across it, didn't write any of it down, but. It's like, I know we'll eventually get to it, so... Right. At this point, just take all the shit with a grain of salt. <laughs> These are more stoner thoughts than anything. But as like, you know, at least they're trying to keep certain things consistent and it kind of give explanations to who these people are, what their purpose is, what these... What did he say? Uh, he doesn't like being called... Not like being a robot or AI, but he had a certain name he liked for oh, it. Oh, the synthetic. Or he he yeah, preferred like called, artificial human. Yeah, some yeah, exactly. So or artificial person. Something that nature. Yeah, but his character served that purpose. He actually got that APC, you yeah. know, uh, and they were pretty consistent too in terms of when they said there was going to be X amount of minutes before whatever they're going to land or touchdown or whatever. If you uh, line it up with the film, it's pretty fucking accurate so you got to give them credit there too <laughs> they're consistent with cool. their time yeah normally that doesn't happen like two minutes and there's like 10 minutes later like that was the longest two minutes ever 
but like I said, for for the time period, I, I still have to think back. It's like try not to be too critical because it's it's nineteen eighty six once again, and I'm, mm-hmm. I I can't help but think it's like man, this is their idea of what the future was in comparison. Because I mean, all these concepts are cool: space travel, landing on these moons, running into these creatures, and what have you, and hooking up with these whatever creatures from different planets. Yeah, <laughs> they talk about, but just thinking about what they thought about technology in terms of communications and mobilities. <laughs> like it's still kind of cheesy, but it was 1986. It was James Cameron. I get it. I mean, the queen design has always been super fucking cool. Yeah. I would, that was super dope. I have to give them credit there. Like the warrior aliens, they were cool because they were fast, very nimble. They hired, I think they said dancers and stuntmen to do that work, which makes sense to make them faster sped up. It was weird. They were striking a weird balance in this one because they made them faster, but at times that made it easier to tell that it's a human in a suit. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So that's you know you see a lot of them, but there's also times where suddenly they they just don't really show you them that much, and it kind of plays into like the ominous feeling. Yeah. But it's also right. just like. You're able to convey this mood and like let people know what you're doing without showing some of these, the subpar parts of the effects. Good on you. No, they, they did a good job with that. I give them credit for sure. Let me ask you this because I couldn't remember if they showed it in the two hour, 17 minute cut or not with the turret guns. Because in the two, two hour 34, there's a couple of turret guns they set up that are like mowing down the aliens and some of these. Oh, Different shit. Sectors. No, I don't think so. Okay, yeah. It's like, I couldn't remember if that was in the two-hour 17. Yeah, there's a sequence where Michael Bain is showing Ripley, like, oops, like he's showing her, like, turret gun A and then turret gun B, shooting all their ammo. Oh, okay. Threat, how many, you know, aliens are going through and whatnot. So, yeah, it's like, I couldn't remember if they showed that or not, but they do in the two-hour 34, so there's a little bit of difference there, too. Oh, that's dope. Yeah. I don't know. I just... I'm not pointing it out to be like, that's a flaw in the movie. I'm actually pointing out to be like, they did a good job of hiding the fact that at times, because of the extra movement, it was also easier to see the seams, as it were. Maybe not literal seams, but... No, they did a pretty good job, too, with apparently tricking the studio into thinking that they were spending all their money on the effects, because they were like, you know why are you using this money for all the, except for the set and all this effects makeup. And then like most of the stuff they thought they were using the money on were just like miniatures and models Mm. and the way they were scaling it. And uh, they said the special effects teams were delighted in the fact that they were working with, you know, a small budget and making it look like most of the film's budget was going towards that. So I was like, yeah, I mean, You've already alluded to that. It's like this this was monumental in terms of how future sets and ideas of, of spacecrafts and all these other things were used in film and media from here on out. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, I mean it's it's crazy to think that, man. And I would have been only like shit, four years old when this film came out. So don't ask me my opinion on it when I was a kid, because I I couldn't tell you, I can't remember. It didn't really strike a chord. The unfortunate thing is at a, at a certain point, it is kind of just an action movie. Yeah, and that's okay. I mean, if that's what you like and 
That's why at I, least for uh, as far as the purposes of our podcast goes. Yeah. Unfortunately, at a certain point, it's basically just. I mean, it really movie. is, and that's okay. Like I said, it, it has its purpose and it serves its purpose there. But in terms of horror, yeah, it's like ah, uh, you know. The alien sneaking on board a ship without being detected was already set up earlier with Pharaoh and shit. In hindsight, it's probably better that the alien took down Pharaoh before they got to their destination. Oh, without a doubt. Dude, yeah, that would have fucked. And in a way, the queen learned from that. Yeah. And held off to get that fucking nasty jab in on Bishop. That was sick. And then ripping him apart like that, too. Mm -hmm. Now, I'll give him credit. Whether it was... You know, Lance Henriksen or a stunt guy, whoever the fuck, spitting all that fluid up. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, no, they they really went for it. <laughs> yeah, made it look good. So, yeah, all that stuff looked good. And that shit, like I said, shit's dope. I'm not trying to get down on it. Oh, no, It's just it turns into a fight between a loader and an alien queen, and there's not much to say about that other yeah. than it's a fight between a loader and an alien oh, queen. Oh, Jesus Christ. I will say this, man. That last little sequence with that... Loader or whatever, man. It, you could tell that was like dated. That's what I want to say with that. Man. It's like, oh, goddamn. That's kind of cheesy right now, seeing her getting in that. Mm, and mm-hmm. just so clunky. It's like, yeah, no. That thing would have fucked her up. And like we said, it's two mothers fighting each other. Yeah, and I But the symbolism doesn't get too much deeper, than, or at least not that I noticed. I'm sure, no, look, this is but, an extremely famous movie. Somebody has probably done a frame-by-frame breakdown and decided that it means fucking something. And I get it. Because you can definitely read into that. That's fine. I didn't get it. No. What I got was two mothers fighting each other. That's all I really got from that. And I I get it, you know, in terms of that. But anything beyond that, I'll I'll let it be for the experts. And I was looking for it. (laughs) Yeah. No, like I said... It's pretty much tied together. I mean, it's even that little expo add-in, you know, the two-hour 34. It's just all it really does add to it is, for me, was the reason why Ripley is so attached to Newt the way she is because of what she learns about her daughter, who's, you know, she had 60-plus years old at that time. Too bad Newt then just dies in her sleep, if I remember right, according to the opening of Alien 3. Let me ask you this. No, because this is... This had me kind of thinking a little bit, you know. It was kind of alluded to the fact that once the aliens start to cocoon you, that you're pretty much set up for an embryo or something, that you know, a chest burster or whatever. Right. So I was under the assumption, well, they got Newt. How early was she in the cocoon stage and how much time had lapsed to where they could have impregnated her or something of that nature. I think that's the thing. Like they have you set up, but they still have to bring one of those eggs over. Yeah. That that's other kind of what room, we okay. found one of the eggs. That makes there sense. There wasn't any eggs in that. That makes room. sense. Yeah. yeah. So that egg and that face hugger or whatever at that time would have, mm-hmm. had, yeah. Okay. That makes more sense. Okay. Because I was like, ah, but yeah, you've already alluded to, so it makes more sense. But anyway, that was the only really question I had towards the end. Cause of what I just mentioned, but everything else is pretty straightforward. It's cool. It really is. It's super cool. No, it's a fun I lo- film. I love seeing. I, I uh, would have loved to have been Paxton. Yeah. Anyway, so no, I was just saying, only thing I would have really enjoyed would have been an audience member in 1986 seeing this film for the first time, and and kind of getting more of a sense of what it meant to be a moviegoer at that mm-hmm. time. You know, and, and what this film meant because. 
like I said, it's 36 plus years later, man, that we're reviewing this and it's going to have a little different meaning to us, but uh, it still holds up. It's a fun film. It's an early glimpse of what James Cameron was capable of. If Terminator wasn't proof of it, this is further proof of it. And then, you know, we've already talked about his filmography from there on out. So there you go. And from what I understood, too, is like he was having a hard time with the British crew because oh. they were very, very married to Ridley Scott's vision of Alien because they worked with him prior. Right. So there was a little bit of animosity because, you know, it's an American director and they didn't think he would be able to carry the torch, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, huh. he said once he left, he pretty much told him, he's like, you know, I'm able to leave while you guys are be here being miserable bastards working at this studio. So he never came back and, you know, the rest is history. So there you go. But there was one guy, uh, Peter Lamont, who kind of stuck up for him and he brought him on board. I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think he helped with some of the design, the set okay. designs and shit. But yeah, he went on to work with him on other projects outside of Aliens. I think um, I think he worked with him on Titanic and stuff like that. Too. Oh, shit. So, okay. Yeah, so he was one of the few guys that actually, you know, saw what Cameron was trying to do. Yeah. They even, um, when I say they, it's the American cast kind of made fun of the British cast because they had uh, it's what they called indentured workers where they were only allowed to work X amount of hours per day. And so they would, like, shut down production. Oh, okay. Yeah, and they were like, they're used to working 12-hour days, you know. <laughs> so anyhow, there was a little bit of shit going on with that, too. So yeah, I mean, this film wasn't easy to film, apparently, but once it was done, it was done. So there you go. I do feel like it also does just a great job of taking the premise from that first movie and blowing open the universe in a way where yeah. they Expanded. continued the franchise and... In all the ways that we've seen it continue. Yeah, which is cool. Like you said, it, it really did open up the doors for those future sequels. And because I haven't seen those in a long time, I don't really want to, you know, go, in, go into any kind of depth on it because I wouldn't know what the fuck to say. But it's still interesting because I want to watch those films and continue the yeah. series to have a better understanding of this universe as is. It feels like a good bridge to like, from like that first one where you're just dealing on the Nostromo. And it's, like yeah. I said, it's basically just that break to, to then it getting, slowly getting bigger. Exactly, man. You're now you're spreading it to a moon and the threat of it coming to Earth and things like that. And even though this was just this one moon and, you know, it's oh, vaguely hinted at coming to Earth, you realize just how shitty Wayland yutani is, too. And, yeah. like, if they're pulling this here, then is this happening anywhere else? That's it, was it successful those other times? Yeah, I was going to say slightly. I wonder how much, too, which is it's kind of maybe an oxymoron in the sense how much James Cameron was trying to comment on corporations and maybe mm. monopolies mm -hmm. and stuff during that time period because that's what Wayland Yutani is. But I say it's ironic because of how much fucking money they made, 20th Century Shit, Fox. Right. Yeah, apparently this film really helped save them mm. during that time period, too. So it made me think that a little bit. But, uh... Yeah, I mean, outside of me just kind of talking in circles, it was fun to revisit and having a little bit more knowledge now with these two films that'll help me, like I said, further on in the series because I've watched Prometheus and I've seen some others in the series, but I honestly, I wasn't paying much attention. I was like, I don't know what the fuck's going on. And three is uh, Fincher directed. Oh, that's right. Dang. 
I know, and then resurrection is Joss Whedon. It's like I know Winona Ryder's in four, right? <laughs> but it's been so long since I watched it, and uh, yeah, I don't want to spoil. It, but from what understood too is, I think is it Ripley like cloned or something? Something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I think they were trying to impregnate her to form those bioweapons. Right. So yeah, like it's been so long. But anyway, I know honestly, the ones that I want to rewatch the most. People get down on them, but fucking Alien vs. Predator was so much fun. Oh, dude, no, no. Those those movies are fucking fun. Speaking of which, too, like, I haven't watched The Predators in a while, uh, and they're fun. I remember playing the game, so. Have you seen the, the trailer for the new Predator? Shit, I don't think I have. Well, when we finish up here, we'll watch that. Should we finish up here? I don't have much else to say about I it. I really it's... don't either. Like I said, it was just fun to talk about. Some of the stuff I learned. Um, one last thing, maybe, is Gail Ann Hurd. She was married to James Cameron at the time. She was the producer, yeah. and there was a lot of pushback too for from I'm not from her, but from others because of her. They didn't think she would be able to pull this off either. This project. Oh, okay. Because they're like, oh, you're married to Cameron, and that's the only reason why you're a producer on this. And so, yeah, there was like there was a lot of pushback. Not only from the UK, but I think from the studio mm. as well and shit like that. So, but regardless, they pulled it off, and here we are. Hell yeah! Uh, so we know what we're doing next week. Yes. Oh it's, shit! It's not relying on anybody. No. It's me and you. It's only reliant on it Man. being dropped on Shutter. Be so dope. Phil Tippett's Mad God. Hell yeah! Go check out that trailer. We're super excited. We know what we're doing the week after. Yeah, we do. One hundred percent. Because it's going to be <laughs> our one of our Patreon-only lookbacks, reanimated, The Cell. Dude, I'm excited. The one that I've been looking forward to <laughs> more than any other. Gosh. Man, almost six years later. Almost. We get to redo The Cell. That's awesome. Oh, man. I'm excited. I'm super excited for next week. <laughs> Mad God looks like it's going to be a trip. It's going to be awesome. Honestly, it looks like it's going to be one of those ones where even if it's not that great... It's going to be worth it to see the full version of every one of those scenes that's in the trailer. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, to see his vision. And it's, what, 30 years in the making? Yeah. So, yeah, that's awesome. That's going to be premiering on Shudder. It should be out by the time you guys listen to this. Go check that out. We're going to be talking about it. For this week, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms, out. Hi, everybody. Tyler here. If you like the podcast, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us, or preferably over on Apple Podcasts, that'd be super cool as the entire world is ran on algorithms and we want to be all up in them. Uh, We highly appreciate it whenever you tell all your friends about us. If you have any suggestions, comments, questions, want us to put eyes on your current independent horror project, you can always contact us, squirmcast at gmail.com, or you can contact us through our website, www.friedsquirms.com. Scroll through our entire back catalog there, or click the links up at the top as we are part of the Earverm Podcast Network, uh, and would love it if you went and checked out some of our sister shows. Uh, The easiest way to keep track of things across the entire network is to go over to that website. That's earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. You can search for us across all the social medias. If you type in Fried Squirms, we should be what pops up. Not going to give you all those ads. So, with all of that in mind, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, peace. <laughs>